This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. I have a new board up today, name of Mike Cohn. And uh, a friend here said, that's cone as in ice cream cone. I bet, I bet he gets that a lot. Anyway, I'm going to go and nag him after this show and ask him to promise me to call this show Stone's Throw. The... You know how it is with these computers. Things bleed in from decades ago. Um, we haven't had cover to cover really for a little... Well, never mind that. Uh, Stone's Throw. It's the name of a book of mine. And I'll get to that. I'll chat about that later because today... Today is August the 28th, 2018. And the Pope... The Pope is asking for forgiveness. I don't forgive him. I am, I am, uh, what is that? Uh, uh, Goethe's, Goethe's feminine principle, and I do not forgive. Mm, anyway, there's no more infallibility in the uh, uh, primate, the, the head of the Roman Catholic Church. No more papal bulls, as they were once called. <laughs> No more bull. If only, if only this guy had the power, dear Pope Francis. Uh, he seems to have a, a, a thoughtful approach. Uh, he's not working hard enough on the women, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I do think uh, it would be nice if he could carry out all his good intentions. He does seem to have... Uh, good handle on the love laws, and I just hope his influence carries some weight. I mean, <laughs> wait, wait, too late, too late. Ah, how to fix this ancient hierarchy? Oh, some people want to do away with it. I, I think that uh, you know that never works. You have to find some new shtick, some new, new way to play it. Um. This hierarchy of bachelors, uh, I wonder, you know, you go back 2,000 years and I'll bet you there was a, a bunch of bachelors running things. Well, you know, male-dominant fellas in the ancient religions, although I I still, I still like to imagine that uh, Pan or the, the, the pagan, the pagan world was... Uh, 
eh, not feminist, but at least uh, woman-centered, grandmother-centered, let's say. It's run by grandmothers. Uh, there's still a few few uh, residuals of that, you know. Behind the throne, there she is, your grandmother. Never mind. This Vatican gang, uh, they, uh, they're just stuck in ceremonial cement and in their patriarchal pathology. Uh, oh, four o'clock this morning, I was, I, I turned, I turned off the radio, but it, it snapped back on. I don't know how, and I, uh, I heard stuff that I just, oh, I didn't want to hear it. Uh, I was watching an old Garbo movie and, uh, you know, this argument from the radio coming over my shoulder was all about the distinctions between sin and crime. And I was watching the Garbo movie trying to figure out what's a sin and what's a crime uh, back in 1929 when the movie was made. You know, their ideas about crime, their representation of crime, never mind. In the Garbo picture, Greta Garbo is on trial. Uh, she shot her husband. That is to say, she killed him. He was a very unpleasant guy, very nasty, elderly. <laughs> Not not that being elderly is a bad thing, it's just that this particular guy was obnoxious. And she did it to save a young boy, a young man who loves her. Uh, now, it's just a crush there, uh, not as far as I know. Uh, you know, in the picture, it's supposed to be just a boy who uh, is running around chasing this woman and uh, the husband goes for him and looks like he's going to kill him. So Garbo gets a gun and shoots the husband. Uh, Now, her real lover is this lawyer. Now, he defends her and he gets her off. Uh, This movie was made, as I said, in 1929. Most of the movie is spent showing how the women... Uh, imitate her clothes and her her her, her look. She's a, kind of like a magazine queen, a, a glamour girl for the time. The hat. Oh, God, that's... Anyway, movie's called The Kiss, 1929. Pretty bad. Of course, uh, the true love, Garbo's true love, the lawyer, forgives her. Um, <laughs> she throws off her widow's weeds and, you know, I guess... They all lived happily ever after. In 1929, I would doubt it. That was a bad year. Anyway, in a picture, it's obvious that sin, sin can wipe out crime, sort of. I mean, it, it, you know, she's not punished for crime. She's certainly not punished. for Anyway, uh, I remember as a school teacher trying to define Things like that, and I realized that linguistics is everything. Uh, see Noam Chomsky. Anyway, sin, sin. But you don't go to jail for sin. That's right. I remember when Clinton was in trouble. Right. Okay. Uh, crime is where you go to jail. Sin is where you feel guilty and uh, you're embarrassed and maybe fired. Let's see. Uh, Ah, a century ago, 1929. That's 90 years ago, 89 years. Now, uh, <laughs> I 
I looked up. I looked up from the TV where I was watching the movie, and uh, I decided I should go to bed. I went to bed with a New Yorker because I I knew I had to come to Cape Buffet today. Uh, this uh, New Yorker magazine, uh, dated thirty October of last year, two thousand seventeen. Halloween, right? <laughs> Halloween last year. You know, that's a shadowy day, the 30th of October. Uh, Anyway, I tried never to lose sleep over insomnia, but before I did conk out finally, I read a little, little piece of an article on Martin Luther. You remember Martin Luther? Not the one we think of, Martin Luther King. No, no, no. I'm thinking of the founder of Protestant Christianity, the man who created the uh, (laughs) Reformation, split the original church in two. Uh, I I find it fascinating that he really, well, the Reformation wasn't his idea. He just wanted to fix the uh, church. And, of course, what happened was (laughs) pretty historic, uh, Actually, poor old Martin Luther was this German priest, and he's very angry at God because God was so cruel to the sinners. And, uh, uh, of course, most people complain about Martin Luther because he had some <laughs> some bad qualities. He was an anti-Semite uh, on a grand scale. Uh, some people like to accuse him of being the uh, initiator, the creator, say, of the 20th century Holocaust. Uh, from Luther to Hitler. That's a nice little book here. From Luther to Hitler. Now, the article quotes a sort of uh, historian here that thinks 500 years is enough to get Luther off the hook. Statute of limitations, I guess. You know how that goes. There are people who have been accused of child abuse in the church today, and people say, well, that was 70 years ago, and besides, the guy is dead. You know, uh, oh, Martin Luther, his problem was he was a very sick man physically, and it <laughs> made him cross, which is a good thing. Uh, Luther, Luther got it wrong, of course, in many ways, but he got it. He got the picture. Something is wrong. Yes, something rotten in the state. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church, right? They were selling indulgences as a wonderful thing. It was a scam. In the 16th century, they, uh, they gave you a note, what this article calls it, get out of jail free card you know you pay money or you give gifts you know and you get a free pass out of purgatory uh, uh <laughs> as time went on and the church needed more money it got got really gross you know uh you didn't even have to uh uh Well, you know, you had to go to confession, but basically, you could just pay your money and take your choice. Uh, uh Aha, so many years less in hell, and you could do this for friends or family members, that kind of thing. Uh, Now, of course, (laughs) yes, uh, in purgatory, 
that is the waiting room for hell. Now, hell, I believe, was permanent, although it's not in Scripture, uh, <laughs> I think. Anyway, Martin Luther saw that the whole thing was a scam, basically, and he understood big time that things needed to change, as they said. He wanted to give religion back to the religious. Anyway, take choices away from the uh, hierarchy, the laity, that is, the people who came to church to get help, you know. They had a right, uh, he said, to uh, talk directly to God, kind of. He wanted to give power to these individuals, these sinners. His motto was, by faith alone. That's cool, by faith alone. All he had to do was believe it. On the other hand, uh, there was another thing. Uh-huh. Uh, skip the Latin here. What it meant was, by scripture alone, that is, read your Bible well, now, that has become a problem. As we all know, that's a pretty, pretty serious problem. Uh, I don't know how to say. Uh, nowadays, the literalists, right, the literalists are a big problem. Uh, those who take the Bible literally instead of metaphorically. Uh, Luther did try to convert, say, the Jews. Yeah, he went to the Jews and, you know, they uh, they scorned him and uh, they would have nothing to do with being converted to Christianity. You know, God's chosen people. Anyway, uh, no excuses, no excuses for this guy, but he... He turned on the Jews with a vitriolic hatred. He did not say they should all be killed. But he did say that the synagogue should be burned and the houses should be knocked down, so on, so on. Anyway, uh, actually, he's so, he's so, what's the word for troop? He just, he just was foaming at the mouth. He's so angry with the Jews that it, it seems that he's almost a caricature. It's funny. Uh, most people just turn away and say, the guy's a nut on the subject. Uh, uh, never mind. Uh, what he did get right, the good stuff, what he did get right, was the fact that uh, celibacy was not required of the clergy. He doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that the priest priests should be celibate. And thus the love laws were all wrong and uh, the priests should marry. Well, well, well. A lot of people suggest that that, uh, that might be a good idea in today's world uh, that married priests might pose less of a threat to the children. Well, and, and to the women and the other adults that they choose to abuse. Now, hmm. Priests were in the role of uh, counselors, uh, helpers, teachers. They were to love the laity, 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 L-A-I-T-Y, awful word. That is, the people who come to church for help. Uh, anyway, there you go. It's my solution to everything. Add women and stir. Of course, that. You know, sometimes they just melt into the the hierarchy. Women in the church. There we go. 
I was looking for some letters. I got to find them. Wonderful letters from nuns to the Pope, trying to the last Pope. Pardon me, trying to explain to him what needed to happen. Uh, I think it's a solution if there ever was one. Now, of course, when all of this, some of this was going on, Luther was in his late 40s, the business about the celibacy came to a head. Uh, That was the time he married in his late 40s, I think. Um, It was going strong, this marriage bit. Uh, And uh, his his ultimate... (laughs) matrimonial uh, scene was the best thing that ever happened to him, according to a a lot of uh, reports. Let's see. I want to read you first two things. I want to read you something about uh, the fact that people insist that Luther is not responsible for the Holocaust. And the other item is about this wonderful woman who came along and... uh, turned Luther's home into not just a, a, a cult, not just a commune, but a wonderful, wonderful place to live. It's called the Black Monastery. Never mind, here we go. I want to read you the words of Thomas Kaufman, a professor of church history at the University of Gottingen, that's G-O. T-T-I-N-G-E-N. I don't know where that is. It's in Germany, obviously. And this professor writes, this is about the the uh, question of whether or not uh, Martin Luther is responsible for any of the horrors of the 20th century. And he mentions the Nuremberg judges, the Nuremberg trials. You'll be familiar with if you saw the Spencer Tracy movie. Maximilian Schell was brilliant in that picture. What a fabulous movie. Even a little part for William Shatner. Anyway, uh, there's a lovely turn by uh, Marlena Dietrich. Uh, she plays a, uh, the wife of a Nazi. Uh, and of course, as we all know, Marlena Dietrich was a uh, Democrat. She she did all kinds of things to help out people during World War II. She was appalled by her country, her German military. Uh, oh, what do we call World War II? Uh, <laughs> the Good War. Anyway, uh, Marlene Dietrich was a, uh, an angel of the underground. Uh, Now, here's what Thomas Kaufman says about Martin Luther. He says that the Nuremberg judges sat in judgment over the mass murderers of the 20th century and not over the delusions of a misguided 16th century theology professor. Goes on to say... Another judge must judge Luther. Wow. (laughs) The author of the article says, How fortunate to be able to believe that such a judge will come and will have an answer. Right, yes. (laughs) God is going to come, yes. Leave him to heaven. 
That's really pretty silly. Uh, I do hear it, though. I hear a lot of people say that we must wait. We must wait for the final judgment (laughs) from on high. I think we will wait for eternity. Uh, Luther lived uh, to what in the 16th century was old age, 62, but he had a really rough time of it. He did manage, this wife kept him alive and apparently uh, took pretty good care of him. Uh, And he had all the troubles that uh, reformers have today. He was, uh, he was, what do you call that, uh, attacked by the Roman church. And then also from the left, the people who didn't think he'd gone far enough. He spent most of his life writing pamphlets, although he thought that his best or most important work was to teach the Bible, teach the Bible. And this he did at the university where he had... uh, learned his trade. Uh, Anyway, the article is kind of fun to read, all the nonsense that they bickered over back then. Uh, I don't know whether there is any indication that child abuse was any different in the uh, 16th century than it is today. I would imagine no. Uh, (laughs) I remember... I remember uh, people in the church, friends of my family, who were still arguing about whether or not you should be baptized at birth or later on. Yes, the Anabaptists, they wanted to uh, (laughs) baptize people when they were older. Uh, Anyway, poor old Luther got sicker and crabbier as time went on. Let me find you uh, the description of this lovely woman. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, Luther was, uh, by 40, one of the biggest celebrities in Germany. And uh, uh, he, what is it? He was not a catch exactly, but the woman who married him, it seems to me, she was out to become the, uh, uh, the boss of things. Let's put it that way. Uh, Luther pointed out that uh, the Bible did not require celibacy. So he advised the priest to marry. And at one point, uh, 1525, Luther was called upon to help a group of 12 nuns. They had just fled a Cistercian convent. That was an action that was related to to his reforms, you know, he sent the people back to do little jobs and the monks became cobblers and so forth. And uh, the women, of course, he thought would be returned to their families or he would find husbands for them. And at the end, just one was left, one of these 12 nuns from this convent. This was a 26-year-old girl named Katharina von Bora, B-O-R-A. Now, remember, Katharina, I hold her personally responsible for the, for the success of the Reformation. It was, of course, a total disaster, but some people think of the uh, Protestant Reformation 
as uh, cool. Anyway, Katerina was the daughter of a poor, albeit noble, country family. Luther didn't want her. He said, uh, it's a quote here, he found her proud. That was the word he used. I'll marry a proud woman. But she wanted him. She was the one who proposed. And uh, he told a friend that he felt no burning. That is the word he used, burning. You remember St. Paul saying better to marry than to burn. Anyway, <laughs> Luther didn't burn, but he formed with Katerina marriage. It is probably the happiest story in any account of this man's life. Uh, anyway, her skill was uh, household management. That was one of her big, big talents. Uh, the Lucers lived in a so-called black monastery. It had been Wittenberg's Augustinian monastery, that is, Luther's old home as a friar. Now, the place emptied out as a result of the reformers' actions, and, you know, the monks, as I said, became, uh, well, uh, workers, yes. Bakers, cobblers, it was a huge, filthy, comfortless place, this monastery. Now, Kathy, I believe that's the way it's pronounced, there's an umlaut, Luther called her Kathy, she made it livable. And not just for her immediate family. There were between 10 and 20 students lodged there at all times. The household took in many others. Four children of Luther's dead sister, Margaret, plus four more orphan children from both sides of the family, plus a large family fleeing the plague. <laughs> this is there's a friend of the reformer. Uh, this is a letter. He's writing to an acquaintance who is journeying to Wittenberg, and he warns him on no account to stay with the Luthers if he valued peace and quiet. The refectory table seated between 35 and 50. And Kathy, having acquired a large market garden and a considerable, considerable amount of livestock, I believe they kept mostly uh, pigs and goats. The archaeologists have found that the, the losers ate suckling pigs and some other good things. Imagine being an archaeologist going over and digging out the garbage in, in Luther's basement in the Black Monastery. They wanted to know what he ate. Anyway, Katerina uh, supervised a staff of up to 10 employees. They had maids and a cook and a swineherd and all that. Uh, she fed them all and she also handled the family's money, the finances. At times, she had to economize carefully. Luther would accept no money for his writings. Wow. Aha, he could have made a big profit on those. He didn't allow students to pay to attend his lectures, as was the custom. The guy's a communist, wonderful. Didn't even pay for their room and board. Uh, anyway, Luther appreciated the sheer increase in his physical comfort. He writes to a friend soon after his marriage what it is like to lie in a dry bed after years of sleeping on a pile of damp, mildewed straw. 
And when elsewhere, he speaks of the surprise of turning over in bed and seeing a pair of pigtails on the pillow next to his. (laughs) The article says, one's heart softens. Never mind, I have a lot more material on why uh, you add women and stir. (laughs) And how, how wonderful it was that Martin Luther's wife came along and took care of things. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. I'll be back again next week at the same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. From the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows. What's your rent situation? How about your house payments? Maybe the digital explosion is sweet for you, but it has certainly brought a grim outlook for many of us. Wondering if an area can lose its soul, KPFA is presenting an illuminating public event, The Dark Shadow of Tech, on the SF Bay Area. Carrie McClellan, author of Silicon City, San Francisco in the Long Shadow of the Valley, will discuss it all with Richard A. Walker, author of Pictures of a Gone City, Tech and the Dark Side of Prosperity in the SF Bay Area. They'll be hosted by KPFA's Sasha Lilly, a deeply knowledgeable author and editor herself. This happens Thursday evening, October 11, beginning 7.30 at First Congregational Church, 2345 Channing Way in Berkeley. This KPFA benefit is wheelchair accessible. Full information is on the KPFA website. That's October 11, the dark shadow of tech on the Bay Area.